We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How to win your dynasty startup. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretschelsubstack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at rotaviz.com. And Sean, we've been talking about dynasty a lot lately. We're definitely going to shift soon into more of a redraft focus, but we thought it'd be fun to wrap up this period of May where we've been having a lot of fun discussing dynasty with a little bit more of an evergreen show where we kind of Make sure to hit on all of the concepts a little bit more in depth for anyone who may do a dynasty startup later in the summer or is just curious. Maybe, you know, we've talked a lot about applying some of these concepts and we did a similar show last year, but wanted to kind of touch on it again from sort of a, a, a starting from square one type of position. Yeah. And so we've gone over some of these concepts with the permanent championship window. We've talked about perpetual reloading. Uh, we've talked about the Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty format, which is a very good one to get into if you want to have a balanced league with Superflex, with tight end premium, have those startups where the positions are a little more balanced. That first round is a little more balanced. Now, we know from recent discussions that you can still trade down from those first couple spots and perhaps pick up quite a bit of value. But when we're looking then at these dynasty formats that so many listeners are going to be doing now, it's so much fun because you have all four positions that really matter. And that's going to really be the foundation that you're jumping off from as you're starting your dynasty league. Right. And I think that's a big, like, that's a very important point is that there's, there's this, eternal debate between you know do young players get drafted too early in startups can you join a dynasty league and just take all of the veteran values and and take this win now approach where you can get some players well behind their redraft adp in a startup and so you can build a super team you can build a team that has multiple first round picks multiple second round picks we talked recently about a team where i took christian mccaffrey in the fourth round he's a you know, top three start, redraft pick to be able to get those types of values if you wanted to just go for it in year one. And it feels a lot like you're still going to have plenty of value into year two, into year three. And 
I think a lot of new dynasty players are immediately drawn to that because they're coming from redraft. I know when I first started, I was drawn to this idea that if I just don't chase the young players, I can have this super team right away. And you can do that. And you can go after the win in year one, especially if you're in a league where a lot of people are trying to build longer term, you're going to have the edge, certainly. The challenge is, as you said, you're laying the groundwork for a long-term thing. You're joining a dynasty league to be in it for multiple years. And almost without question, when you do that, there's a reason those guys are going where they are in the startup. And you can't then just turn around necessarily in, in almost every dynasty league. Some of them, I think, still overvalue veterans. But you can't just turn around and trade them and rebuild easily because they're just getting a year older you're really running this risk of an age cliff. And it's something we talk about in fantasy a lot, even in redraft, where once guys start to decline, once they hit a certain age, it's not, you know, we, we see those age curves. It's not really usually a slow decline. I mean, often we just see guys completely lose it and their value completely craters. And when you're drafting those types of players, essentially you need them to continue to produce at an incredibly high level just to maintain value usually if they do have that bad season, suddenly they're no longer interesting at all. They're coming off a bad year. Don't even look like they can be big producers at an advanced age. And so you, you can't get anything out of them. You wind up with a roster pretty quick. That is really hard to then get back to a high level. It is. And what you're saying there reminds me of a great article that Blair Andrews has written in his wrong read series, talking about, uh, wide receiver bounce backs for example after a bad year the number one thing that we see is that it's difficult to bounce back and then the number two thing is that it's difficult for older receivers to bounce back and it's difficult for receivers who weren't superstars so someone who is a, a very valid contributor in fantasy but not a star those players when they drop it's hard to get back and it's hard to get back after injury as well and i think that you know, sometimes we see a guy who gets hurt and think, okay, well, it was just the injury. And as soon as he's healthy again, he'll be the same guy. The problem is that you're not always the same guy. But even if you are, as you get older, NFL teams don't want to take the same chance on you, right? And so as these guys get up there in years, the risk is simply that even if they were still fairly solid, that the NFL teams are not looking at them as someone who can do the same things for their roster that you want to do for your fantasy roster, right? Which is to be an ascending player. And even if you still have that skill level, but you don't have that potential to be an ascending guy, the team is like, it doesn't make sense for us to prioritize you over someone else who's younger on our own team. Even maybe if that player has a little bit of projection and needs to do a little bit of improving. So you have a lot of different types of risk and that element you mentioned where you see these guys not just decline, but fall off the cliff. I mean, that makes sense, right? Because from an NFL team's perspective, they're not necessarily looking for someone or approaching it from the perspective of, okay, this guy is going to go from you know 225 fantasy points to 175 fantasy points. Maybe that's still fine. It's a matter of they go from being a starter to not a starter. And as soon as that flip happens to where you no longer have quite enough of an edge that you're a starting caliber player, then you're not out there on the field. So you don't drop a little bit. You do go almost to zero. And that's something that redraft players need to be much more aware of but it's also something that in dynasty when you're looking at the potential to trade these players number one people in your league are not going to want to take that risk 
But then number two, even if another manager might be willing to take the risk, if you wait till after they hit that cliff or they completely collapse, then, I mean, it's not a matter of will somebody take the risk. It's just you have an asset that's worth zero. And so that path to being the champion early is difficult because even if you have the best team, then what are really your chances to win the league, right? We see this a lot of times where, especially in leagues that are very sort of youth oriented, where you will then see someone zig when everybody else is zagging and take the veterans and then you see them go and they finish second, they finish second, and then they're into this massive rebuild. Depending on how your league is structured, finishing second twice may pay for your league entries for a while. And it may be something where you feel okay about that. You were in the championship game. You could have won. I mean, all you can really do is give yourself the chance to win. But once you hit that wall and you have to rebuild, then I think the thing that jumps out is that that rebuild is very different than punting the first season. Because if you do what we've talked about, where you trade back in your startup draft and you have all of this firepower for the next year, we were kind of joking that we were trying to not make the playoffs in the first year of our RV triflex startup. <laughs> and we unfortunately got that last playoff spot. So we didn't get you know our particular pick. Some of the other picks were a little bit earlier that we had traded for, but our pick was the 107. You get in this situation where it's just so very different. Our team already was better than we wanted it to be. And year two, listeners who have kind of gone through that journey with us where we did do the draft and we talked about the players that we took. I mean, we're optimistic for the team. You could always be wrong. It, we have built a little bit more running back light, although once the rookie draft was over, we had a decent number of people at that position. You could get hit with injuries. You might have to postpone even for a year, but overall, our team is going to be competitive now for a long time. You take that win now approach and you play for two seasons and you miss or even if you win and that can be great i mean you're the champion and in that case you are probably going to pay for your entries for a while but that rebuild is very different i think that maybe that's the part that sometimes people miss they think okay i'm going to win and i'm going to rebuild but that rebuild is like a five six year process whereas when you trade back in the startup you're really looking to be potentially the best team in the second year and one of the big things with any of the rebuilds, and I know this from experience, one of the very first, I think maybe the very first uh, startup I ever did, I did go a little bit more veteran heavy, and my team was really good. It didn't ever win. It made the semifinals, I think, the first three or four years of the league, but then eventually the rebuild hits. When you're saying they're very different, one of the things is you can't really stockpile additional darts. And so you you have to hit on your young players when they come in and Sean, we've talked about this team before. I've told you that it's been a little bit unlucky. It's hit basically every sort of landmine that you could imagine. I took Nikhil Harry. I took, unfortunately, LaVisca Chenault looks like you know, a potential landmine as much as I've talked about, you know, him being worth this 20th round pick recently. You can go way back. I took Leonte Carew as a guy that, you know, people who are more, more recent to fancy football won't even know that name. Uh, Henry Ruggs was a draft pick for this team. There's been several that you'd hope would pan out, but haven't, right? I'm mean, almost ex exclusively haven't. And when you're only getting basically the one first round pick every year, because you can't trade these aging veterans for, for, for additional first round picks, 
you have to hit on those picks and you can, I mean, obviously I, I could have hit on all of those early receiver picks and, and suddenly my team could be good again and sort of would have been able to transition a little better. But when you talked about the five, six year rebuild, that was the team that immediately came to mind where every time I miss on a Nikhil Harry, a high draft pick wide receiver that I thought was going to be very good. It pushes me back another year, right? It's just like, got nothing else i needed to kill harry to be really good and then potentially to flip him and, and to keep building and it really hits you in two ways right because not only do you not have the players that you need to be competitive but when you miss them you don't have the trade assets that you would need because one of the things you need to do in a rebuild is to not get caught up in this idea of foundation players you take someone like a harry and he hits and then you trade him for multiple pieces because like you said the veterans won't get you multiple pieces but if you have a harry and he doesn't hit you can't get multiple pieces out of it. And so it pushes the rebuild back in several different ways. Right. But when you're basically starting from this productive struggle or the initial rebuild, if you can accumulate multiple picks, one of the things that we have talked about with our team, we had a ton of draft picks. We moved some of that value into the 2023 draft, continued, continued to push it down the line where we're expecting to be able to take a lot of rookies basically in every draft going forward. That's, I mean, a huge advantage, a huge advantage to continue to have rookie draft capital throughout. And it is, it's not easy to do. It takes a lot of patience. It's something that you've been really good at. I probably, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to execute as well had I not been playing with you. And it's been challenging in some of my other leagues, but this is like really the first key point that I would drive home that I think I've taken from you is this idea of trying to have volume and it's a lot like the real nfl draft we talk about teams not necessarily being better than each other at identifying talent so trading back in the real nfl draft and, and approaching it from a quantity over quality perspective makes a lot of sense that plays in dynasty the second thing that is really been driven home to me over the last couple of years is this idea of sort of future value it's hard for me to understand at first you've you've referenced some of the great work that Pat Crane did back in the day when he was still writing at Rotoviz, where basically what he showed is every age that a player is in the league, they're essentially losing as a group that age, as they go to the next age is losing some dynasty value other than 21 year old rookies. They will gain some value going into their age 22 season but even 22 to 23, you're losing some value and you're continuing to lose more and more value. That that part of it makes sense sort of intuitively. It's sort of hard to understand, but it it makes some sense. It, the, the part for me that, is, that I've sort of really crystallized is this idea that you want players that aren't going to bottom out, that aren't going to completely lose value one year to the next. We just talked about going forward in year one. What happens on those teams you'll see some of the like dynasty calculators and things. They're typically overvaluing the veterans for what people in your league actually want. You, you Sean mentioned a second ago that people aren't going to necessarily want to trade in for these players, even when they haven't cratered. Like you said, some of them can just immediately go to zero and you're, and you're kind of screwed. I mean, even guys that are still in their twenties, Kenny Galladay is a good example. A year ago was still being drafted fairly high in startups. I have him in some spots where I had him from when he was even younger you can't even trade him for like a future third right now, which I think is just sort of silly, but his value one bad year with the giants and P and I, I think he's a decent rebound play right at, at this point in, in redraft and in dynasty, but 
one bad year, his value has really gone to zero. But even setting aside those types of players, it's the ones that are maybe a little bit worse and now a year older. You're going to see stuff that suggests to you that you can get more value than you're probably going to be able to get on the trade market. And what you kind of have to accept and, and then do is that if you want to get out of those pieces, you're going to probably have to sell low just to make sure you can get a deal done. And I say low, sort of in air quotes, low compared to what I think some resources out there would suggest is a good value. But it's it's probably fair, right? Because the, the people taking those players on, even at a lower cost, are moving a lot of value into depreciating assets. And so for them, it's it's a it's a challenging thing to justify as well. And so you get it, yeah, you get in this game where if you're taking a lot of veterans, that future trade value is tough. In our startup, we ended up taking Michael Thomas and Odell Beckham as players that we thought especially where they reviewed last offseason were maybe under undervalued a little bit, had some potential to gain value. They didn't necessarily gain a ton. And when we ultimately traded them, we were also trading them lower than what an expected return might be. I think we packaged them together and we got like a second round pick out of it or something. It was not like a, a massive haul. And yet we were still happy to get something out of them because in, in and those are guys that could continue to produce, but You've mentioned this idea before of wanting to trade a year early rather than a year late. The other thing with these veterans, if you do go down that road, is you have to be willing to trade at a lower value than you probably even think they're worth. It's it's a tough concept, I think, to grasp. But then the flip side of that is the youth players, when they don't even produce, the 21-year-olds as a group gaining value going into year 22, there's still reason for optimism right? I mean, look at the QB class of last year. Basically, none of them did anything. We've talked about this on the show in Superflex Leagues. They're still going in the second round of startups. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, a lot of optimism still. And people will say rightfully so. But we can also point to players where, you know, this is what a bust looks like. After one year, they have a bad year and then they continue to be bad. So in some cases, I think training out of those types of players makes sense. I, I got asked about a Zach Wilson trade. And we talked about it on the show a little bit, and, and then I recently got asked again after their additional moves, am I happy I moved out of him? I kind of am, because I think that's a guy whose value can go to zero. I got a couple second-round picks out of it. In Superflex, people were telling me that felt low. I think that's fine. You know, I was very much happy with moving that value and, and trying to build a different way at quarterback. But it's this idea that even when the player doesn't hit at a young age, they they maintain enough value. They can lose some value, but you don't see the value crater. You can still trade them. You don't even necessarily have to feel like you trade them low. Again, uh, Zach Wilson's an example of a guy who I drafted, I think, 108, 109. I ended up trading him for essentially the equivalent of two second-round picks and I think a, a small first-round move up to get Traylon Burks. And people were telling me that I undersold him after he had a bad first year. I mean, two seconds and a, a one pick trade up for a late first isn't, you know, last year that I spent on Wilson doesn't feel like I, I really lost a ton of value from my initial investment. So there's that that element as well. It's the complete flip side where even when the player's not good, there's still optimism. There's still reason for people to want to, you know, buy into those players typically. And you just described a perfect sort of thought experiment that listeners can do anytime that they're looking at a player in Dynasty, whether it's your own player that you're thinking about moving, it's a package of, of players you're looking to acquire, and you want to go through the individual players and think to yourself, okay, what is the movement in the trade market if this player has a good season, 
what is the movement if this player has a bad season? And one of the things you'll find, and it's very much related to age, and there will occasionally be some other minor elements to it as well that you think through because you kind of know the different scenarios that could take place with this player. The younger guys, exactly as you described, if they have a good season, that trade value skyrockets. If they have a bad season, in many cases, it stays the same or it goes down a little bit. The exact opposite is true with veterans. And so you're, as you're moving through these players, you can ask yourself that question as you're putting together trades. Now, you referenced Pat's research, was, which was absolutely fantastic and really put some numbers to kind of what we intuitively see with these trades. And it, it fits what we know about how players develop as well, where the second year, and again, I mean, Blair has some great articles that people can Google on player age and player experience as it relates to breakouts at different positions. And what we do see is that that second year is the year that you see this massive explosion from so many of the young guys. And so that's the thing that really bolsters the value of someone like a Zach Wilson who has had a bad season. And it's again, the reason that you have to have so many rookie picks and so many rookies, right? We see the rookie picks are going to continue to rise in value as you get nearer to the time when they occur because now those guys are going to actually be in the nfl they'll contribute to your dynasty team but also because they're open-ended and the manager who has them can make them anybody not anybody within the context of obviously anybody within the universe of players who were available at that point in the draft but veterans you know once a pick is made it's locked into being that guy it can't be whomever that owner wants. And that's a big deal. So you have that rookie pick, you have a young player, he moves through, he moves in. And then as that player goes into year two, the value can really rise. So these players that we saw have big seasons. I mean, you're looking at a Kyle Pitts and a Jamar Chase, generational type of players. I mean, they were expensive to start with, but one of the things that I was mentioning on a show recently, it's just, it's so hard to believe is that in one of my main leagues last year, I was able to select Jamar Chase at the 106 because of enthusiasm for the quarterbacks. And quarterbacks are so valuable that there was even some question of people are like, you know, do you want to move back a spot and take Zach Wilson? It's like, you don't have quarterbacks. It's like, I don't have quarterbacks, but I'm going to stay there and take Jamar Chase, right? Those guys now are first round startup picks. And this element that we have had in the past or that people have in the back of their minds of I'm going to have to be so patient. I'm going to have to wait. I'm going to delay my grat gratification so long. It, it's just not really true, right? We have the, these rookies who come in, they impact the league right away. And then you're sitting on this absolute bonanza, both in terms of scores and in terms of what you can do in a trade. You mentioned the trade values these players have when they're young. And that really takes us to, this sort of first foundation point, which is this idea of perpetual reloading. And the reason that we perpetually reload is because that's where the trade value is. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying go out and trade Jamar Chase because you shouldn't. <laughs> but for so many of the rest of these players, and certainly someone like a Zach Wilson, the value of having a lot of young guys is that you can then go through your portfolio and hold on to the chases and move the wilsons because you have both whereas if you don't have a lot of young players and you've just invested a lot in zach wilson the previous year and he's now a foundation piece for you on offense you don't have the flexibility to address that 
you're not going to be a manager who is then reloading there. You're like, I've got to wait and see if he takes the jump because if I trade him now and he takes the jump, then I've lost twice. And so you stand pat when, yeah, I mean, you, that may be the case where he does break out. And if you're somebody who has a lot of rookies and you're moving some of them and you look back and like, well, I shouldn't have traded Zach Wilson. It's like maybe that specific thing didn't work out, but over the course of a lot of these trades, you just end up with so much total value and you win a lot more often than you lose. And that's how you build the dynasty team. And that what you just described about sort of the uncertainty when you don't have enough assets. I mean, it goes right back to the team that I had with like the Nikhil Harry's where Harry had the rough first year. He's a guy who lost a ton of value, but I was sitting there going, I have to, I have to have Nikhil Harry be good. And so I stuck with him and stuck with him until I finally cut him this offseason. I mean, I still was holding him. Uh, and that's unfortunately what ends up happening when the player busts because you I'm sitting there going, I, I can't I can't lose twice. Like you said, I, I have to have Nikhil Harry hit for this team to have any chance of rebounding. Well, then that doesn't mean that Nikhil Harry is going to hit, unfortunately. But it is. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing and you that thought experiment you said was so valuable the biggest thing is how is this player going to be viewed in the future and sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around taking a really young player over a veteran i mean i'm in the 10th round of the startup that we've been talking about on recent shows and i was debating wandell robinson and deandre hopkins and that's just sort of hilarious on its merits because wandell robinson is this player that is being viewed as not big enough sort of, you know, the next Tutu Atwell, if you will, we like him and and we want to get some exposure to him. And I do want to draft him where I can. I did wind up taking DeAndre Hopkins for reasons that I can't really defend as we sit here and talk through this. But part of it is this element where you're like, okay, I'm looking at DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, he's suspended for a period of time, but I'm going to potentially get him after, you know, David Bell and some of these second round receivers from this year. Christian Kirk had gone some of, you know, some veterans that I don't think are particularly exciting. DeAndre Hopkins comes back from that suspension is still playing pretty well. You know, he's 29, he's going to be 30. You might get a couple of years out of him. I'm, I'm doing a lot of these sort of mental gymnastics when I decide to make, to, to make that pick. The reality is, yes, I, I probably got good value on him, but there's not a lot of scenarios where he gains value and I'm able to trade back out of him and be excited essentially that I made that pick. Whereas with Wandell, I mean, yes, the immediate production might be less, but the sort of hilarious thing is as long as he plays a little bit and does a little bit, he's going to answer. I think some of the questions you look at even like Rondo Moore, who's compared to a lot more didn't have a great rookie year. There's people that are down on him. There's people like me that are very excited for his year too. And he still maintained quite a bit of his value. And so it, you get in the, the main point I was trying to make there is you get in these dis, decision points where you're like, I'm looking at a potential Hall of Fame wide receiver versus a guy who may never do anything at the NFL level, may just be a rotational player his whole career. And yet so often the right decision is to take that rotational player, essentially, as, as bizarre as that sounds. And just to put some numbers on it and to defend where you made these picks a little bit in the RV Triflex startup adp hopkins is the 911 rondell moore is the 1010 which again like you mentioned the value has 
sustained to an extent. I'm almost surprised that it's not even higher than that, to be honest, because it's so easy to see what would happen if he has a couple of good games. And you don't even have to think like a full season. You could even think from a couple game perspective, you know, how will you be able to get back out of a player? I mean, if Rondell Moore goes out there and catches seven passes for 70 yards and a touchdown in week one, I mean, you've already made a three-round benefit from him. That's not the case for someone like DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he comes out in week seven or week eight and goes 770 and one. People are like, well, I mean, you better hope that he did because otherwise it's not going to make any difference for you. Wondell Robinson is the 1301. And so the, a big gap in terms of where these guys are going, there is some you know potential arbitrage opportunity there from a trade perspective. Of course, I mean, you're drafting a league where a lot of the managers are going to be thinking the same way. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to get the value out of the veteran players. We'll talk about that as we kind of get toward the end of the show, because I do think that there is some value in taking veterans late as opposed to taking veterans early. As we build these teams, you know, it's, it's so tempting to take the Travis Kelsey's. I think one of the most frustrating trades that I have witnessed recently in one of my leagues is a, a big bounty for Kelsey. And it's so frustrating. It's like, you can't pay that much for Kelsey now, but the guys in the first five, six, seven rounds that look like such great values, you still can't take. A little bit later, like you talked about with Beckham, Thomas, you know, some of those players, a little bit different story. The thing that actually lucked out for us in that was that we were able to trade Juju, Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham. And again, I mean, you think about where these guys would have been a couple of years ago, and this would seem like a lopsided trade, but already going into last season, I mean, this is actually a fairly successful escape from them in that we got Saquon Barkley back. The thing that happened there and that was very sort of unfortunate, unlucky for our trade partner was that trade actually occurred, I think, within the week before Beckham was injured again. Obviously, his value dropped substantially after that because he was on a good run there. And if he had been able to go back with the Rams, when you look at where someone like Allen Robinson, who was not nearly as good, is being drafted in redraft if beckham were able to stay healthy and be in that slot i mean he he would have a lot of value at least from a 2022 perspective which does matter for owners who are in this position to win now that worked out for us it won't always work out it may even be a situation where including juju comes back to haunt us because he's now with the Kansas city chiefs we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But Ben, as we look at this, one of the other kind of little rules of thumb that I like to use that I think can be helpful in kind of navigating this age element and this trade element, because a lot of people are going to come back to us and say, well, I mean, you've got to score some points on your roster and are even going to look at this team that we drafted for this year, for year two in our RV Triflex. And they're looking and they're like, Number one, you guys have a lot of players. You're not necessarily going to be able to move back out of all of them. You may just have to cut some of these guys that you drafted. Number two, you're deep, but it's not a best ball. And, you know, are you going to get the production that you need? Now, one of the things that we've done, we have Saquon Barkley, we have James Conner. Those guys are going early in redraft. It would suggest to us that we have the running back points that we need to be competitive. But there is this question out there of how do you make sure that you score points? Now, part of it is that you keep your chases, you move your Wilsons, but there are going to be some other opportunities to move through different guys. And when you're looking at a player who may be, you may think of as a peak type of player who you could add in sort of a three for one. We talk a lot about being on the three side of that and diversifying your risk. In this situation, the manager who took the three side, immediately one of those guys got hurt and that's unlucky for him, but at the same time, he still has Juju and Michael Thomas left. Now, we don't know if Michael Thomas is healthy either, but he's got a little bit more insulation than we do. If Saquon Barkley gets hurt, then you know we've lost the trade, obviously. As we're looking at the age element for these players, I like to think in terms of when you trade for someone, you want to be able to play them for two years and then still trade them close to the peak. And one of the things that we see in terms of the trade value and the averages is a lot of those averages are going to be influenced by the stars jumping and then other young players falling out of the league entirely. And so the guys who fall out of the league are going to drop those averages down. And as we get each year into the league, you have more players who fall out. But you do have this sort of core group of veterans who from age you know, 22 to 26 are probably going to play pretty well. I like to still very much target the beginning of that window, play them for a couple of years, and then move them, even if it seems like I'm moving a guy who, well, not just it seems like, but if I'm moving a guy who's a first or second round redraft pick. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. I mean, even going after the 25, 26-year-old wide receivers, it can feel like, yeah, this guy's just entering his peak. But if you play him for two years, as you say, it's a lot tougher, especially if that player isn't playing at an incredibly high level, it's a lot tougher than to get peak value at 27 or 28. Like we're talking about with DeAndre Hopkins right now, obviously his, his suspension comes into play and Hopkins is 29 now, but that's a guy who, you know, I, I got him in the 10th round. I was using that Hopkins Wandell example. Obviously I, you know, I said, I, I took Hopkins. It's kind of an extreme example. Uh, and I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, you, you more or less think that the Hopkins pick maybe makes sense or there was an arbitrage way of moving back and getting Wandale or, or different ways to play that. But the point is to get familiar with those types of decisions, I think, and be willing to take the unproven player because 
we talk a lot about chaos and we're going to all off season as we start talking about redraft and we're talking about it for just this season, how hard it is to trust projections, how much can change in season in one football season. Now you extend that over multiple years. And I don't think, I don't think most people can really grasp or, or fully understand the shift in player perception from one offseason to the next even as we sit here and can use examples from what we're thinking of players right now and say this is what we thought of them last year talk about michael thomas or odo beckham or those players like what we were discussing with michael thomas last year at this time was maybe he's playing i mean the expectation more or less was that he was going to play last year right and and he was only a year removed from a really great season and so the expectation was okay he comes back he's still a pretty high level player in his prime and he looks great. And so there's a reason to be a little bit enthusiastic about that. People were taking him in the fifth, sixth round and in redraft thinking, yeah, maybe he's not going to play for the first part of the season, but when he comes back, he's going to be Michael Thomas. You have Michael Thomas. And people are still thinking that right now he's multiple years removed from that. It might happen, but that's not a particularly likely scenario. And more to the point is just getting familiar with the way things change. And we can't look back too far and hope, right, that things are going to go back to how they were. I mean, I think running back is the easier position. Talk about the way that Todd Gurley's value slowly eroded. And there were still people at each stage that were like, well, he's Todd Gurley, though. Like, even when he went to Atlanta, he's Todd Gurley. Like, he's going to have a good year. He had a few touchdowns that year, that first year in Atlanta. But obviously, he's essentially retired at this point, I guess, and still pretty young. David Johnson, we saw an erosion like that. Even a player who continues to produce and look good, like a Melvin Gordon, who's now at like a 29 and has been very good into the later 20s. And I think there will be more running backs in this next group than maybe in the last that are able to play past the 25, age 25 range because we had sort of a lull in like really strong running back prospects for a stretch there kind of between like AP and, and and where we are now with some of these Christian McCaffrey's that are reaching their mid twenties and AP is an example of a guy who played until into his late thirties. And, and so you could still see some guys like that. Gordon is one in that gap that did play, you know, until 29 and continues to play well. But even then he was a guy looking for a decent contract this offseason, didn't get it, had to go back to his prior team on a one-year deal. Another example of a player that has pretty clearly lost a lot of value. And so, you see this sort of slow erosion. If you go look at essentially any player in the NFL who's great, and this is one of the weird things about Dynasty where you pick up a player who's young and he's great, and you're thinking, I'm going to have that guy for the next 10 years. There are not a lot of examples of players who are great for 10 years. There are very, very few, and they are the absolute best. They're the Julio Joneses. They're the Calvin Johnsons. Larry Fitzgerald did it for a long time, but I always love to bring up that he had a stretch in there where he was pretty poor for like three years and then had a second wind. That is absolutely the outlier. There are players that can play near those guys' level, but usually you get this peak of three or four years, and then this game just breaks players down, unfortunately. And so that's one of the big things about Dynasty as well that I try to keep in mind is you don't have as many years as you think you do. And if you're buying into a guy who's already been productive for two or three years, there's a really solid possibility that he only has one more year left or a couple more years left. And there's a lot of great players that that's been true for 
it's just a it's a tough sport in that regard. And so when you're playing dynasty, that's the other huge element. When you were talking about that age window, everything's sort of a case by case basis. These are sort of these high level brush strokes that we're taking. But when you talk about hitting them at 22, you're talking about getting them before they even enter that peak. And then you have this potential number one for the massive value gain. Like even Jamar Chase at the 106 last year has gained so much value from there. You could have gotten a higher draft pick this year plus additional first round picks if you wanted to trade out of him one year later. You can enter that that huge peak right away and get that massive gain and then also have you know, multiple years of potential high-level production and a trade window at the end of that, as opposed to picking a player who's already potentially nearing the end of that window, which again, I there's a lot of ways to say that. I've said a lot of times, don't pay for past production. It's just one of the unfortunate realities of the NFL. A lot of people love to look at players past seasons and say, this is the type of player that guy is. I had a tweet recently that said that, a couple different tweets, but the sort of the too long didn't read uh, breakdown at the end was basically at every single point, fantasy managers are too sure of what players are and what players aren't. Every offseason, every point of a player's career. I mean, I guess a thought experiment would be go to a player. And if you've been pretty tuned into fantasy, go back through their off seasons and try to think about what their perception was at each of those points and what they've actually done since and what their perception is now. And does it all fit? Because usually it doesn't. It almost never does. And so, yeah, that this idea of being really confident, okay, this guy's given me this in the past. You know, I, I guess Ezekiel Elliott is the guy that comes to my mind most easily. We've done this for a couple off seasons in a row now where people want to keep thinking Ezekiel Elliott has in him what he did as a rookie or a sophomore or some of those things. He's never going to have a season like that again. It's just, that's not how this game works. If he does, I will tip my cap and be so proud of him. And and like, I believe me, we are always saying we're rooting for the players. I genuinely will be impressed and I will praise that. Readers of Stealing Signals know I was praising Derrick Henry last year when he continued to do it. What Derrick Henry did over the last three years is just talking about him in terms of being one of the greatest running backs of all time, what he was able to do up until that injury. Because the things he continued to do are running in the face of what I just said. I, if Zeke has that type of year, again, a 1,500-yard rushing year or what have you, I will absolutely be incredibly impressed, and that would be a, a, you know an amazing feat. But basically, those, di- like, those stats are accumulated. Those seasons are over. Those days are done. Things always change. There's things that have changed with their offense and their offensive line. There's ob- obviously things that have changed with Zeke. And so we've done this for a few years now with him. It's sort of the same slow erosion of value that we saw with like the Todd Gurley's and other examples where – there's still this hope that, you know, the Cowboys love Zeke and they're going to give him a ton of work and he's going to, but what is the upside now for Zeke is the question. And it's not the 1500 yards. It's that he can be used so heavily that he can be 75% of that maybe. But when you start to think about that and you think about his age and everything else, that's not going to get you a a value gain in dynasty. That's not going to get you anywhere. And so you have to know that the future range of outcomes for the player is not the same as the past. Things are always changing. This chaos that, that I was talking about, that we're talking about in redraft over multiple years is, is the rule. Is That's the world we're living in. And player value is constantly changing. And what they did in the past almost just does not matter.
So Ben, you're talking about some running backs there, and that kind of brings us, I think, around to the other kind of foundational piece, or at least an important piece of how we build these teams. As you described Elliot's career, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, that's a great example of someone where if you had traded him after his first three years, you would have gotten this massive benefit of having played him and you could trade him very, very high at that point. It wouldn't have made sense already with the minor red flags that were starting to creep in to hold on there. And it's something where if you make that trade and you lose, and he does go on a Derrick Henry type of run, again, over time and over a number of trades, you're going to come out way ahead. But how do we play the running back position, right? Because one of the elements of Dynasty is that you're going to have to have this team in many cases, especially after you get two or three years in, and there are other managers within your league who are doing a good job and who are building these super teams, you've got to be able to compete with them which is one of the reasons why you need to have a very good plan and you need to build a lot of depth and a lot of talent, but you're also going to need to have a good starting lineup. It's one of the reasons that we'd like to have elite tight ends, not just in best ball and not just in redraft, but in dynasty. So you get that scoring potential there. When we were looking at our team and then when I was looking at some of these other teams that I've built, it was kind of funny after the cut down in the FFPC where we would have like 10, 11 wide receivers and two running backs but in most cases or in many cases those running backs were good in our case we had james connor and saquon barkley on the team that i have with ben we have uh, travis Etienne and javante williams we made a little trade there to actually move out of javante and get jk dobbins to get those that future pick i mean that one with, with williams i think is the perfect example of this perpetual reload because we actually didn't even get the performance from Williams. There was just a game or two in there, and it came in a season where we weren't competitive. But you still have to be willing to say, I'm going to have a better overall team if I move this young player. Maybe he becomes Ezekiel Elliott, and you definitively lose. But over time, you win. Monty and I were in a situation where we didn't have good backs, but then we made that Joe Burrow for Jonathan Taylor trade because of the overall depth that we have built. So running back, a position where... We don't want to be reaching for players. We don't want to be looking at guys who, again, are past foundation players. It wouldn't make sense now to be in on a Cook or a Camara. But in your recent draft that we did the show about just earlier this week, you came down with the three foundation guys. And for me, the running back position, even more in Dynasty than in Redraft, which you know, maybe sounds funny for listeners who know how we like to play redraft, but you're looking for an absolute star or you're looking for very late zero RB types of players. And so we're going to have that mix again of the very high end and the very low end, nothing spent in between. And those high end guys, unless you're getting a big discount, which will occasionally happen, the dynasty market gives you this little opportunity from time to time with these veteran running backs that they just become so cheap that we're looking at dynasty running backs as really being a season to season proposition that it makes sense to go ahead and get out there and get in that. But how are you looking at running back? We know that we're building our team through the wide receivers, but running back points could be the thing that puts a team over the top. Once you get into those fantasy semifinals and you're facing down three other very good teams. The, the recent startup I did is probably not the best example because it's a lot of 
very wide receiver managers who have, have gone out and and drafted receivers very high. I mean, I think I mentioned I ended up taking Christian McCaffrey in the fourth, and that was after you know Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams had both gone off the board, who were really high-end rookie receivers, but typically don't see that in a in a dynasty startup. I I think to your specific question, the way that I like to play it is to be as strong as possible at wide receiver in a normal room, like we have in our other league. And then it, it gets back to this idea where we were kind of starting this show uh, from this concept of how to win your startup draft. If you win your startup draft through the position that maintains the most value, wide receiver, and especially if you can do it with young receivers that then hit, you're going to have opportunities to then try to trade into running backs because there's going to be teams in your dynasty league over the next couple of years who realize their their team isn't trending the right direction and they want to then get out of running back risk if you will and try to get into some receivers and so that those opportunities do arise you just talked about one where we didn't even trade any of our young receivers we traded Michael Thomas, Otto Beckham, and Juju Smith-Schuster and moved into Saquon. So the thing, I think the really hard thing when you're playing Dynasty and you're always passing up these big names for the young players is this idea that I just can't have my favorite players on on my team. Well, a lot of times you can. <laughs> you can then come back around and do it. We talked in a recent show about the, the drafter in my startup who made some trades back and then moved into Patrick Mahomes and basically didn't lose any value from that. And I think netted some future draft pick value. If you're, you know, taking a really strict accounting of it in our draft, we moved back, accumulated a lot of value. And then ultimately we got to a point where we said, okay, we, we I think we drafted both Austin Eckler and Aaron Rodgers, but moved them both before the end of the draft to come all the way back up and get into Kyler Murray. This idea that when you're moving back and accumulating a lot of options and a lot of young pieces and a lot of overall value that's spread out and has the potential to gain. And even when these players aren't particularly productive, doesn't necessarily lose value year to year. It allows you the opportunity when you're ready to then go out and pay top dollar for a top dollar running back if you want to. And I think that's sort of the path. I mean, I don't know if we've talked about it a lot on the show, but we were trying to acquire Christian McCaffrey this offseason as well. So potentially, and using young receivers and picks to do it, but potentially McCaffrey and Barkley would have been acquisitions for us. I think that's the way that if I'm scripting out the, the perfect plan, that's the way to get the running back points. The second side of it, naturally, and this is one that I'll always hat tip Chris Patrick on, but I see him do it in some rookie drafts and leagues that we're in. Um, is is attacking the running back position early in rookie drafts because you're getting them as rookies and you have the early production and then you have a lot of times a lot of production in year one in that window after year one to trade. You guys, you mentioned you you did that with Javante Williams in your other league. And so it's sort of twofold. Sean, you and I are always going to want to take the receivers in rookie drafts in the first round. But I think you basically don't have, you can go almost full zero RB if you're doing sort of a productive struggle. If you're not really trying to contend in year one, it is not that hard to get running back talent then onto your team through rookie drafts. It was tough in 2022 because the running back class wasn't particularly deep, but typically it's a little deeper and you can get some solid players. Uh, and you don't necessarily always have to use them at the very high pick. I mean, I, 
I go back to Alvin Kamara, one of the first years I was playing, and he was like an early second round pick in most rookie drafts. You can get those types of guys. Maybe James Cook winds up being that type of player. I don't know. You know, that's not a guy we're particularly high on. We do really like Rashad White, but you can take some swings at running back in the rookie draft, and you can use that youth and that depth that you've built to try to acquire veteran running back production that essentially gets discounted. It's like those running backs that were drafted in the startup are like the, the new car that right when you drive it off the lot, they're going to start losing value. And for especially for those teams that aren't product, uh, uh, aren't competitive into year two and into year three, they're going to want to move those pieces as much as they can. They're going to want to get as much as they can get for them. But as long as you're patient, eventually they're going to want to just move them for what they can get. Um, so you have that opportunity then to target players and move back into them in trade. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear to, from the startup perspective, to be trying to build through the positions that hold their, their value the most, which wide receiver is at the top of that list, quarterback and super flex is at the top of that list. And then, um, youth as well, which we talked about is going to hold value or gain value the most. And when you've done that successfully, you can then move back into pieces that have lost value since your startup in a year. That's a great point on trading for the pieces. And you look at the running backs and where they're valued in your startup. You look at the young wide receivers. That gap is going to close almost regardless of how the players play. And the piece that a manager who embarks on a rebuild is going to want those young wide receivers and even the ones who aren't the stars. I mean, that's one of the things that you will also see in that trade market is just a young wide receiver who plays some. It doesn't have to be a superstar. You're going to be able to get out of him to those running back values. Looking at some of the prices here in startups, another sort of intriguing way to me to play this if you are relentlessly trading down in that startup will be to take a couple of these young guys who are still young, but the price is interesting because they've had some hiccups. So right now, Travis Etienne, the 412, J.K. Dobbins, the 504, those are guys that I'm targeting in redraft. And one of the things that I kind of like is that the players that I'm on the heaviest in redraft in my redraft approach are almost always good dynasty acquisitions for me as well. I think if you try and hit on a couple of the young guys and in this season because as you just pointed out 2022 is not going to have any running back depth to where those guys fall down through but you can give yourself a little bit of flexibility by selecting a couple of these guys i think the first two players that blair and i took last year were actually etn and javante williams then everything comes sort of crashing down with the etn injury and we don't have that but that gives us a little bit of flexibility to where if we were to hit on the other pieces and like you're talking about in the startup that you're in even in that first year, you would have this path to be competitive. You have those two running backs, and if you're competitive, then suddenly you have the running back firepower you need. If you're not competitive, you can move back out of them. And again, in this case, what you have to do is you have to move back out of the one who is actually good, right? So we hold on to ETN in that situation. We move Javante Williams. Depending on where your team is, you could do the opposite way. We talked about that with a couple of the players earlier. But that again creates this optionality and so we like that element of it you can do it a variety of different ways if you've moved way down and you're relentlessly moving back in that startup you have a situation where 
you might actually be targeting the wide receivers even below that. So you gave some examples of young wide receivers who are available late. You get a big block of them. And then it kind of sparked for me when you were talking about these running backs. And if you have the patience, and it's not particularly fun, but if you have the patience to wait two years, you can probably build an even more dominant type of team. But one of the things is if you're trying to hit those rookie running backs the following season, you may actually need to move down more than you realize. You can move out of your first four or five round picks and still build a team that is so good that you're not even looking at a pick in the top two or three selections. So if you need some incentive to move back more, think in terms of, you know, I might want that first year team to be even a little bit weaker. That's something that I think is interesting because there can get to be a point where you're like, I've got to start making some picks. But then Ben, to kind of close it up for us today to get to our conclusion on this sort of overall look at a dynasty startup you're moving now into the round 10 range you mentioned the deandre hopkins how are we wanting to play the late rounds and again i mean there's not just one way to do it but there are some compelling scenarios that can develop as you get into these double digit rounds yeah i think there's certainly a point where you have to shift a little bit i mean there's a difference again when we talk about player value one of the things that i think is maybe a little bit missed that I've recognized and and I think most easily recognized as it relates to some of the 2021 rookie QBs again, is this idea that the the perception in the fantasy football community that that sort of anchored, there's that that anchoring bias, right? That that year one perception influences year two value relative to how the players do. And so you look at uh, Justin Fields and Trey Lance, who we were all, I think, very rightfully excited about last year, did not play particularly well. Their value held really firm. Zach Wilson, people were a lot less interested in last year, didn't play particularly well, arguably has the best situation right now. I mean, he's a clear starter, doesn't have like a Jimmy Garoppolo on his roster like Lance does, has a way better skill position group than Justin Fields has, and yet he's Lawrence. a lot. Or Trevor Lawrence. And yet he's a lot cheaper uh, in startups, in, you know, redraft going into year two. He's a guy that I just mentioned trading away, but I think is a reasonable bet in pretty much all formats as well to be buying into cheap enough. You know, sort of one of the guys that, as you sometimes talk about, it makes sense to be selling and buying, depending on the price points. And so in startups, when you talk about getting into the middle rounds, later rounds, I'm at a point in my startup now where all of the first round rookies of the 2022 class and anyone who's doing rookie drafts have gone in this startup. A lot of the second round rookies have gone in this startup. We're to a point where these players have really interesting profiles still and are still worth investing in. But at the same time, you especially this is sort of the transition, especially as you get to where you're talking about third round rookies. If you're in a league that is devalued, it, it, it's very league specific, I think, because some of the really casual dynasty leagues are more than likely going to be overvaluing the veterans. And so I think at this point where I'm at in my draft, it makes sense to continue to be stockpiling as much youth as possible. Similar to what we did last year, Sean. But in a league like I'm in, where there's a, a very heavy emphasis on youth, you can get to a point where you're debating DeAndre Hopkins and Wondell Robinson. And I, it, 
it's funny you were talking about making the year one team too good i think i've already you know i already made that bed when i took christian mccaffrey in the fourth round and sort of said this is going to be a little bit of a potentially you know surprisingly competitive year one team even though i have three first round picks next year and additional future draft capital but as i was building out a team that can compete and it does have youth it does have devonta smith and it has sky Moore at wide receiver and it has Brees hall at running back and i took justin fields who's probably a sell more than a buy as much as i love him i took pat fryermuth i took alberta okubanam and so now i have two really good tight ends and tight end premium that I, I feel great about my tight end room as two guys that i think could ascend should still be at least good over the next couple of years players that I can probably trade back out of. I think their values and, and where I had to get them are value floors over the next couple of years. And, and they're players that can, that can gain value, like I said. But this team, I think, is competitive enough. It's got the three good running backs. That's J.K. Dobbins and McCaffrey and, and Hall. It's got the two good tight ends now. I, I ended up getting Ryan Tannehill to, to pair with Field. So my quarterbacks aren't amazing, but two guys that I expect to start this year. And I think Tannehill's a much better bet to start next year than most. We're, we're excited about Malik Willis in the fantasy community, but he's a guy who uh, was a third round pick. And Tannehill's a guy who led his team to the number one seed in the tougher conference last year. And everyone's kind of just already deciding that he's going to get benched this year. That's not without Derrick Henry, right? He, he led them all the way to the number one seed. They did lose in the playoffs, but I mean, to a team that then went on to beat the chiefs or are the chiefs going to bench Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. That's a, Huge false equivalency, but what was fun to say. At any rate, I think this team can compete soon. And so you get into this range where now I took DeAndre Hopkins. I can start to say, okay, these guys that have fallen, these veterans that have fallen. I mean, I think DeAndre Hopkins, again, is similar to the McCaffrey pick where I feel like there's a possibility I'm just riding this guy's career out. But it's sort of this idea of either taking players extremely young or taking them after they're out of their prime and they're already discounted. Because especially when they're a high-level player like a DeAndre Hopkins, I can still get the rest of that production, the rest of his career. You, you're kind of going to either end of the age curve and not hitting the extremely pricey in their prime player. Once they've already declined to the point where I can take DeAndre Hopkins in the 10th round and a couple of years ago he was a second-round startup pick, that's a different, a different discussion because he can bring points to my roster in year one he can add firepower that can fill out this roster. And the roster as a whole still has, that's when I went through the young players, the reason I, I named Devonta Smith and Sky Moore first, still has some young receivers, first of all. Still has the additional picks that I'm already earmarking for more receiver depth coming in the 2023 class. I think long-term, this team is still going to have the ability to gain receiver value and build through the receivers. And yet it's thin at receiver in terms of just sheer capital that I've built for like a year one or an immediate window and so the decision for me was hopkins actually fits really nicely in that regard where he gives me some receiver points in the early window obviously he's going to be suspended for the first few games of the year but when he comes back probably helps in 2022 points i think can probably still help my roster in 2023 points in a best ball setting i don't think he's he's certainly at risk of falling off an age cliff but at a 10th round pick and at an opportunity cost of a you know a wandell robinson or a second round type rookie as opposed to an opportunity cost of taking a prime receiver and giving up maybe Garrett Wilson or Jamison Williams when you take that prime receiver. It makes a lot more sense here to be looking at a player that has that, you know, established skill level. I love that. And I think that the point there about being willing to 
move back into these guys once they've gotten to be so inexpensive and basically being willing to ride them to zero if that works out that way is the way to do it the other thing is that you're directing a great player and that's the type of player who maybe you can get back out of during that trade window right before the playoffs if the player is playing at that level someone will potentially overpay for a deandre hopkins where you know more of a wide receiver two, a wide receiver three does it even make sense for them to make a move if it doesn't change their starting lineup and the biggest mistake i think that i see drafters make as we start to get into the double digit rounds is they'll continue on this path of looking at some of these receivers now not to say that there aren't some receivers i like in the double digit rounds because there definitely are but we see players continue to go out of position or get in a situation where they're weak at a position where they know they need to be stronger and they start to take bad players and i mean bad players of the context of these guys are all awesome but players who are not going to be able to make a contribution and i think that in the double digit rounds you have this sort of unique opportunity to kind of look back at the positions that have a lot of positional value but as a result maybe are extremely expensive and so you know you and i took ryan fitzpatrick last year that didn't work out but it could have worked out and if you have some of these quarterbacks late i'm looking at the adp here we have daniel jones in round 11 now the rv triflexes are a little bit different because teams can only select three total qbs in the startup i think that's a big feature of the format when you're looking at superflex in your particular league if they don't have that the quarterback might go a little bit earlier but you have daniel jones there you mentioned that you like him a little bit more as a redraft bet i agree with that completely certainly once you get into the double digit rounds he becomes a little bit more interesting jerry goff we, we've debated him on the show a number of times someone who probably isn't going to give you that elite upside but when you're talking about positional value someone who has kind of gotten the zach wilson treatment in that now he's got weapons pretty interesting there marcus mariota at the 14 12 baker mayfield at the 15 11 you can build some depth at a crucial position late in drafts the other one that jumps out to me here ben and, and obviously you know we're taking our, our zero rb guys late and you know in some formats we were lucky enough to hit on devin singletary last year you know he's a guy where you do that thought experiment like what if he blows up and the answer is well i mean he's still actually going to be cheap but at least you got that blow up value to it i'm looking here at tight end and we know we want to have the elite guys but you're gonna have to pay a lot for that in many scenarios and right now in 2022 the elite guys are not only aging but some of them have some real problems in terms of how the offensive flow is likely to work out on their teams round 11 mike Gesicki, noah fant cole Komet, trey mcbride and then you wrap into the 12th Irv smith one of the things that you and i did last year in our startup and i really liked was to hit three tight ends after we had traded back and we've got these picks in rounds 10 11 12 and i think some people are looking at those and saying okay well i mean you guys moved back too far you're not going to get impact players there but if you can get young tight ends in rounds 10 11 12 maybe all of those picks don't work out but especially as leagues move to tight end premium i mean you've got to have some exposure to some guys there absolutely i was really excited about the potential to sort of copy what we did uh last summer in this startup here and get to in, in Fryermuth and a quick that um I really like 
in that range, Fant, uh, Dalton Schultz, Dallas Goddard, Cole Komet all went in sort of the same area as well. And I thought they were all fine picks too, uh, as you said. But the one point of, of everything you just said, that I agree with all of it, that I really want to reiterate is the great players point. I think for both my decisions to take Christian McCaffrey and DeAndre Hopkins, one of the things that I would argue and one of the things I was considering is that they are great players. They're both players that have been the number one overall player at their position at a point in time. I was talking about the perception in the fantasy community and what that means. That still carries weight for these players. If they continue to play at a certain level, we talked about the in-season trade window. I'm certainly going to be considering that because, you know, if DeAndre Hopkins comes off his suspension and, and it go, rips off three or four really good games, I think the in-season trade window hits in like week 10. I was thinking already that exact point that people are going, he's going to be viewed in season in, in DFS circles and things like that, like DeAndre Hopkins, because he's DeAndre Hopkins and he's ripping off great games, right? And so you have that element of it. I would not chase aging players that I don't think are on this level. And so there are some others that have gone, you know, sort of in the same range. I would have rather taken like a Wondell Robinson, taken that swing, taken that youth. Because number one, the, there's the, all the pitfalls and the concerns with the aging players. And number one, those players don't have the past production or the, or the, the perception on their name that they, they are elite that where if they start producing, they're going to immediately turn some heads in the same way. There's going to be skepticism that they're going to be able to keep it up. There's going to be more discussion of regression and, and fading those players and those types of things. And number two, it's just that element that if there are players that can continue to produce well into their later ages or, or break these molds or break these age curves, they're probably going to be the superstars, right? And so, you know, I talked about with Christian McCaffrey, I'm actually mildly bullish that he can be good until he's age 27, age 28, right? And so we have, I think, a couple more years where he has the potential to be a really good player. And, and we talked on the last show about they might be cutting his, uh, you know, his work in certain ways, but the, the work that he won't lose will be a lot of the high value touch stuff and the most valuable stuff. That's what makes him so unique. He's like a Marshall Falk where He's going to catch a ton of passes. He's such a good route runner. He's a, he's a, you said last week, he's better than most of the slot receivers in the league, the best slot receivers. And he, he is, he's so good out of the backfield at running routes. And then Hopkins, Hopkins has these skills that I think will age gracefully. He's, I think, the best technician on the sidelines in the game and has been for most of his career. He's so good at body control. There's, I get so frustrated watching some receivers who, struggle with the sideline who struggle with put getting both their feet down because they're like so concerned about keeping their body up that they let their foot carry them and make their next step out of bounds as opposed to a guy like Hopkins who's always dragging his feet as far back as he can and then letting himself go to the ground right and usually you know going gracefully you don't want to go to the ground too much you might get hurt whatever but he is so good at tapping his feet so good around the that's why he's carried high touchdown rates his whole career so good around the end zone at at you know, playing the boundaries and, and managing the entire space of the end zone and even the space outside the end zone where he's still open even when he's guarded at the back of the end zone because he can catch it and get his feet in. And so that's the kind of guy that, I mean, much like Larry Fitzgerald in, in Arizona, 
I think can age gracefully. These guys have unique elite talents and elite skills. I'm not going to make a habit of drafting those types of players, but when I'm going to go after veterans, it's players that I think can actually break molds and be different. And we, that is something we need to consider and always think about is we're talking about, again, these broad strokes, these plans that you're making. But when we talk about zero RB, when we talk about redraft, when we talk about anything, there's always room for detours. That's something that we talked about on the show a lot last year. You want to know structurally and uh, from a big picture perspective, what's going to help you win? Where are you going to maximize your value? Where are you going to maximize the upside of your roster? What are your goals when you go into a draft? But if you're going to, to pivot and you should be willing to pivot, how can you do that intelligently? And where does it make sense to do that? Um, I'm hoping with both the McCaffrey and Hopkins picks that, and it's similar to Odo Beckham and Michael Thomas last year, we were taking players that we could make a reasonable case still had top five upside because they had shown that type of elite ceiling. Even though I just got done half an hour ago on this show saying, you can't trust past production and it's gone and it's in the past. There are, there are exceptions, right? And so we do have to be aware of that too. And so anyway, that's uh, something that I absolutely consider with those players. You're never going to hit an outlier if you're constantly trying to find the most beneficial move, right? And so you don't want to chase outliers, but when the cost is right, I think there's that, like you said, that reason to go after great players. And that's a perfect spot, I think, to wrap up this show on Dynasty, the overall Dynasty blueprint that we have, this idea of creating not just one championship window, but a permanent championship window for your team. We're up with a lot of great players, and hopefully a lot of those guys will be young. A few of them might be old. We talked about age, trades, areas of the draft to target your guys positions and how to build anyone who is listening to this in a couple of months or next year at this time as you're getting ready to do your dynasty startup if you have even sort of deeper questions about trades we did a show on rookie draft trade tactics we did a show on startup trade tactics so those you can kind of feather in there as well ben i know you and i could chat about this it's such a fun topic for hours more but we do want to leave this as a listenable episode for all of those stealing bananas fans out there we appreciate you guys so much we appreciate all the ratings and reviews that you've left for us everyone who's joined in is subscribed to the feed and is going to get the bonus shows as well we're going to have more of those as we go through ben you and i did a recent ffpc superflex best ball tournament draft that was an absolute blast. We took a little bit of a contrarian approach. It was so much fun that I did also write it up for the site. We're going to be doing an underdog draft soon. And if you want to join us over there, you can use the coupon code RB. Well, that's the coupon code to just get a discount to Rotoviz. That's my that's my number one recommendation. Subscribe to Rotoviz. Use the coupon code RV Radio 2022. You get 10% off your one-year subscription. But no, if you want to join us at underdog. You can use the code Rotovis. I always say it's impossible to forget, and yet Ben, I did it wrong for the show today. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. You can follow me at Yards Per Gretsch. The thing to do is to get over there, sign up for Stealing Signals. You will be more informed about what's happening every single game during the NFL season than anyone you're playing fantasy football with. You will win your league. 
And then I know you're going to have a lot of great content between now and then as well. A lot of individual sort of evergreen concepts like we've talked about that you'll be covering in the next couple of months. Anybody who's listening, you don't want to miss that. Make sure you sign up. We'll talk to you guys soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.